0: Thanks for listening to ITRIS, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, I have uh, a really good yard, and the reason I have a really good yard is because I have really good topsoil. If you uh, come and see uh, our neighborhood in uh, June or July, one of the things you'll probably notice, and I'm not bragging, I'm just sharing my blessings, my yard looks better than most of my other uh, neighbors, and uh, the reason is not because I'm spending more money on fertilizer. I'm the cheapest man in the world. It's not because I'm watering more. It's because I have better topsoil. I don't know why it was, but our particular lot just has really good topsoil. You can go to one of my other neighbors and you can see it and uh, they spent a lot of money on fertilizer. They spent a lot of money on water and theirs isn't as good as mine. Why? Because they don't have as good a topsoil. Topsoil is everything. You got good soil you're going to probably have a good yard. No amount of water or fertilizer can make up for bad, crummy topsoil. It's just a fact of life. Now, I'm not going to do a seminar on how to have landscaping and good yards today. What I really am more concerned about is what kind of topsoil is on your heart. How hard is your heart? Uh, really, the truth of the matter, in the same way that really good soil produces really good grass, a, a soil that is of a high quality, a spiritual soil in your heart is what cultivates a life that really is truly and pleasing to God. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 13. As you know, probably, we've been walking through the life of Christ as it's been told to us by Matthew. And uh, couple over the last couple of weeks, we got to a really, really strategic moment in Jesus' life. He's been out for, you know, a year and a half, almost two years now, preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has been basically campaigning to be their king because the kingdom is imminent. The people loved him, but the establishment, the decision makers, the power brokers, they have decided that he is not who they want. In fact, they have determined to destroy him. And in fact, they kind of stumbled on the the reason he should be uh, eliminated. All of these things he does, he's doing them in the spirit and power of Satan, and so that's what they have been telling everyone. Now they they have determined to tell everyone that Jesus is of Satan, and so what we've where where we are in the story is Jesus is now going to change strategies. It's like he recognizes that. The die is cast, and it's just a matter of time before he ends up on a cross instead of on the throne. Now, that obviously was all part of God's plan, but that's how it's playing out. And so what Christ does now is he changes his strategy and he starts to talk to people in parables. He had used parables Before, But now, it's like in almost all of his public ministry, it's going to be parables, stories. Who doesn't love hearing a story? Everybody loves hearing a story. But the one thing about parables is parables often didn't make sense unless you had the right spiritual disposition. And so that's what we're going to see today in Matthew 13. So you got your Bible open to Matthew 13. Here's how our time's going to kind of lay out. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the first few verses there where Matthew says, Hey, Jesus now is utilizing parables. And then we're going to skip ahead to a little private conversation that Jesus had with the disciples because they were like, Hey, what's the deal? You know, you used to be pretty blunt, straightforward preacher. Now you're just telling stories. Why are you doing that? And that's where Jesus tells them, here's why I'm doing it. Then we're going to go back in the passage and we're going to actually look at a parable, probably one of the most well-known parables that Jesus told. And then we're going to see the interpretation of that parable because Jesus himself told the disciples, here's what the parable meant. And then like I always like to do, At the end, we're just going to ask a few so-what questions. So look at Matthew 13. Look at these first uh, three verses. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and a great multitude gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down, and the whole multitude was standing there on the beach. You know, I, you know, I know a lot of preachers. I'm related to a whole bunch of preachers. There isn't one preacher alive that would love, that wouldn't love to have that opportunity. Every time I go to a beach, you know, and I'm thinking that, you know, I wish I could get in a boat and just start preaching, you know? I mean, that would be so cool, you know? And uh, Jesus did it. And he spoke many things to them in parables. And then we'll just stop right there. Now, skip down to verse 10, because what, what, what he did was, Matthew says, he, he utilized these parables. And the disciples, they asked him, hey, what's the deal? Well, that's verse 10 down to verse 17. And the disciples came to him after he had told this parable privately. They came to him and they said, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, let's just stop there for a minute. What is a parable? A parable is a story. It's an illustration. It's a, uh, the word parable literally means something cast alongside. Belay is the word to cast, and para is the preposition alongside. So it's casting something alongside. It's like, you know, I'm trying to explain a point, and then I use a little story to provide a, an analogy. It's like this. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's telling a story alongside the truth that he's communicating, or he's using a story to communicate the truth. And so the disciples, they, they see this is, boy, this is, is like a real shift in strategy, Jesus. Why are you speaking to them in parables? Verse 11. And he answered and he said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And I'll come back to that. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they won't be able to see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. This is out of Isaiah 6. You will keep on hearing, but you won't understand. You will keep on seeing, but you won't perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn again, and I should heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, because they do see, and your ears, because they do hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and they didn't get to see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not get to hear it. So what's Jesus saying? He's essentially saying that the masses, because of the leadership's lie, that I'm doing all of this stuff in the spirit and power of Satan, they're going to start to reject me. And so in a way, it's like God in his grace is not going to pile on more information for which they would be held responsible. You know, one of the basic principles in life is, uh, that comes out of the scriptures is, to whom much is given, much is required. You have a lot, God holds you responsible a lot. You have a little, God holds you responsible a little. To whom much is given, much is required. And it's the same way with the information you get. And that's what Jesus, that's the point Jesus is making here. I mean, these people are rejecting me. And they're going to be held accountable for rejecting me. And so I, in my graciousness, I'm not going to pile on more information that they just reject again, more so, and therefore be held even more accountable. That's the basic gist of what he's saying there. And so it's like now, for people that have spiritualized, they're going to be able to hear these these parables. They're going to see these parables. They're going to understand the spiritual truth that these parables are communicating. But to the rest... There's just going to be great little stories that they love getting from that preacher. And they're hoping that he'll also provide lunch after the service. That's what they were in it for. They were hoping to see a trick or two, you know, hey, maybe there'll be a blind person, and they'll make him see, or a lame person, they'll make him walk, you know, and besides that, the guy's a great speaker. Man, he tells a great story. But in their mind, he's just Someone that's an interesting character, but not the Son of God, not the Messiah. They're in the process of rejecting them. So God in his graciousness is going to kind of protect them from further condemnation, further punishment, just to be blunt, from making hell hotter than it already is going to be because these people heard so much. And yet rejected it. That's kind of the gist of what he's saying there. Two more things I want to deal with. He talked about the mysteries of the kingdom. I'm going to start revealing to you who can see the mysteries of the kingdom. Remember he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now he's going to reveal to them the mysteries of the kingdom. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew. You guys are going to hear the mysteries of the kingdom. What is a mystery? You know, it's not something spooky. It's not something, you know, ghostly or anything like that. Basically, in the Bible, when you see the word "a mystery, it is referring to a truth that is yet to be disclosed. It's always been true. It's always been the way it is. It's just nobody knew it. And it's like Jesus is going to shine a light on this yet-to-be-revealed truth. That's the mysteries of the kingdom. And what Jesus is going to do in this the rest of this chapter, and we'll see this a lot next week, is he's going to show them how the kingdom is going to unfold. Because they all had their preconceived ideas of how it should work out. How would you draw it up? You know, we all do that. We all have our idea of how God should do things. And God says, No, this is how I'm going to do it. And for them, it was a mystery that Jesus was going to enlighten them about. That was the one thing I wanted to share with you. Look at the last little bit there, verse 17. He said, Guys, This stuff I'm going to show you, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and David and Solomon and Joshua, even Abraham, would have loved to see this stuff. And I just want to say that, you know, we we have our heroes in the Bible and, and we think back on them, the Daniels, the Josephs, the Solomons, the Davids, you know, Elijah, Elisha, do you know that you have far more data, spiritual data, biblical data, available to you than they ever dreamed of? Do you, do you know that if you've been paying attention to, to just decent Bible teaching for the last year or two, You probably know more than David ever knew about God's unfolding plans. I mean, those guys had such great faith in so little information. And I think if there could be any indictment raised against us, we have so little faith in so much biblical truth. And he's telling Peter, James, John, Philip, Richard, John, James, Jimmy, Susan. He's saying, for truly I say to you, verse 17, the prophets and righteous men wanted to see what you're getting to see. You, When you come to church particularly on those Sundays when you find out somebody else is preaching, or you sit there saying, man, I get to hear something that Abraham would have loved to hear. I mean, David would have gone out and killed five giants just to hear a sermon like that. Those guys wanted to hear it, but too much of the time, we're like just ho-hum, a little more theology, a little more truth, or what else? You know, it's like, what else you got, you know? We're excited about what we can get Black Friday, Cyber Monday. But shoot, just a little more theology, a little more Bible truth. <sighs> Got that. Jesus said, guys, what I'm going to show you, what I am in the process of showing you, these mysteries of the kingdom. Man, Daniel would have gone into 10 lion's dens just to hear this stuff. Well, let's move on. Go back to the parable. And like I said, this is probably one of Jesus' better-known parables. I mean, there's not too many parables he told that that, uh, are more popular or better known than this. Look at verse 3. Here's the parable. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the road, and the birds came and devoured them. And others upon rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But because they had no depth of soil, they uh, withered. Because when the sun had arisen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among thorns. And the thorns came up and choked them out. And others it fell on good soil, fell on Richard's yard. And it yielded a crop of a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Now he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here's the story that Jesus told. There's, there's this sower that goes out and he scatters the seed. And he casts it out and casts it out and casts it out. And some of that seed falls You know, on the rocks, uh, on the path. You know, it just sits there and birds come and pick it away. It's gone. Doesn't do anything. Others goes where there's just a little bit of soil. Springs up, but boy, the sun comes out and it's deader than a doornail by noon. Some get spread into an area where there's a whole bunch of weeds. The weeds grow. The good crop doesn't grow as fast. The weeds choke it out. But others falls oh, where the good soil is. And man, where there's really good soil, it's a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. That seed really takes off. That's the parable Jesus told. Well, look at verse 18. That's where Jesus himself interprets it for the disciples. Here then the parable of the sower. Okay, remember, they've just asked him. They said, now, why in the world are you starting to tell these stories? What's this have to to do with anything? Well, look what he says. Let me explain it to you, verse 18. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed has sown beside the road. The one on whom the seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself. It is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Well, there's a third one. Remember, the first one was on the pathway. Second one, one was there among the rocks where there wasn't a lot of soil to plunge into. Here's the third one, verse 22. The one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word in the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom, on whom the seed was sown on the good ground, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit And brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now let me just make a couple observations out of that interpretation that Jesus is telling. Basically what Jesus is saying is what determines the product, what determines the end result, is not the seed. It's the soil. In other words, the life, the power, is in the seed. This information that, that, that is being sown, that is being distributed, it's got power. It is authoritative. It is, it is the very word of God, if you will. And as that is spread the results are not dependent upon the quality of the seed. It's dependent upon the quality of the soil upon which the seed is sown. If there's no soil at all because it's just a pathway, kind of like an asphalt or a concrete pathway, there's nothing at all for it to grow. It just sits there until a bird comes and takes it for lunch. But if it gets thrown into some place where there's a little bit of soil, it might spring up, but boy, it can't stand anything. A little bit of opposition, and it's dead. If it gets sown into a place, the third one, where, where there's already some other plants, but they're weeds, There's competition for the nutrients. There's competition for the moisture. There's competition just for the space and the sunlight. And those good seeds are going to grow up, but they're going to get choked because other things are crowding it out. But if it gets sown where there's good soil, that powerful seed that has life in it, that's authoritative, that is the very word of God, it can produce. And even then, depending on the quality, it can produce as much as a hundredfold But it's going to produce. So what Jesus is saying is the power is in the seed. But the product, the quality of the product, the measure of the product is in the soil. You know, we always call this the parable of the sower and the seed. But it probably should be better titled the parable of the sower and the soil. Because that's what the difference. Now, a lot of times when you you get to this point, maybe you've heard this preached, not from me, but you've heard it preached from others, that they're saying, you know, essentially this is like a picture of who gets saved. You know, here comes the the gospel, the gospel gets put out there, no soil, nothing happens, that seed gets taken away, that person's dead, they're on their way to hell, that's the first guy. And then we debate about whether the second guy and the third guy are going to end up in heaven because, you know, he grew a little bit, but he died out at noon when the sun got hot, or he grew a little bit until the weeds choked him out, you know, that was their spiritual life there, was enough spiritual life, and and... People like to look at this and say, okay, who was saved? Was the only person that was saved is the fourth guy who produces fruit, 30, 60, and 100? It's kind of the normal, traditional way you hear this passage preached, particularly when you're over in Mark, and uh, it's not in the midst of you know, all this information about the kingdom. This isn't heresy, but it's unique, okay? And it's true, in my humble opinion. I want to give you a different slant on this. If you've heard it preached that way, this is going to be new to you. But I honestly think this is actually what Jesus was going after in telling this story. He wasn't saying, here's who's going to get saved and here's who isn't. Or here's why some people hear the gospel, but they don't respond to the gospel. I'm not even sure this is a salvation passage at all. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. This is a sanctification passage. And I think that what really and truly is going on here is Jesus is, just to set it in Matthew's story, I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying, guys, it's been opened up to you to be able to see the kingdom and hear about the kingdom. And I'm going to tell you stuff that Abraham was dying to know. But guess what? Your ability to perceive it, your ability to understand it, your ability to allow it to impact your life and make a change that will count for eternity is not dependent upon the information I'm going to give you. It's going to be dependent upon the quality of the soil in your heart. And I think really and truly what's going on here is Jesus is talking about four people perhaps who are all believers, if you will. And he's saying, here's what happens in their life when they hear the word of God. And you know what? If I'm honest with myself and if you're honest with yourself, there are times I am all four of these people. There's times when I hear the truth of God, maybe through my reading, through hearing a sermon, through just a comment from coming from some other believer, or maybe just the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? My heart is like that asphalt out there in the, dro- in the parking lot. That seed sits there, and there's no life change because my heart is so hardened to the Word of God. I know that I'm supposed to make a change. I know that I'm supposed to go respond to that truth and enact that truth. And I'm supposed to maybe go have that conversation or go make that apology. I'm supposed to go do something or start thinking a different way, but it hits a very hard heart. And you know what? That seed doesn't do anything. That ever happened to you? I bet it does. I think it happens to every one of us believers sometimes because there are, we're in a spiritual battle. And I think part of winning that spiritual battle is keeping our heart full of good soil. There's times I hear the word. That seed is sown into my heart and, and you know, because of the, it my... my my heart is still filled with hardness, those rocks. There's not very much soil there. There's enough soil for me to say, boy, I really need to hear that. But boy, I bolt by, before lunch because the pressure of a full schedule, of, of a difficult conversation or too much work to do or bad priorities that have set me up to do things in a, a the wrong way. And I can't hang on to God's Word and allow God's Word to flourish in my heart. And so, shoot, before 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm just chucking that and going after solving my problems my way. Because I obviously know more about God because I'm living this life. He's just observing this life. Are you like that? i bet you are sometimes because I know I'm that way a lot of times. Maybe you're the third person. Maybe the seed gets sown. You come to church and you hear, you know, a decent sermon. You 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 listen to some songs and the lyrics to them are are just you know great. And you grab on to them, but your life is so full of weeds. And those weeds choke it out because this obviously is very important. It's got to have a huge place in my life. And this is important. It's got to have a huge place in my life. And this is important. And and I've got to have a huge, it's got to have a huge place in my life. And I've got so many other priorities that are just filling up my life. And there's no room in my heart. There's no nutrients in my heart available to act on the Word of God and allow the Word of God to grow deep into my heart. You know, but praise God, every once in a while, and I'll bet you've had this, every once in a while there have been those moments when I've heard something, read something, listened to something, And it's like it came, and it's like the Word of God was, it's like what James said in James 1, the implanted Word of God produced, and shoot, there's been times it's produced a hundredfold. It's like all of a sudden I heard the truth of God, and, and by God's grace, the soil of my heart, was prepared enough that God allowed it to flourish. And God changed my life and transformed my life and matured my life. And I became a better husband or a better father or a better grandpa or a better pastor or a more honest taxpayer or a kinder person that dealt with conflict because the Word of God got into my heart and it started to produce that 30, 60, 100-fold of fruit. You've had that. You've had that as well. Here's the challenge that I, I, I think all of us need to recognize. Every person in this parable, all four of them wake up every morning and they all inhabit you. We'll never get rid of the hardness of our heart. There's going to be something we're going to battle all the way to the grave until God gives us a new heart and takes out the old heart. There's there's always going to be those those hard places that, that crowd out. There's always going to be competition. But that's part of the, the, the goal of the Christian life. That's part of this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And it is to take this heart that God has given to us and to bring it into complete and total submission to Him. So that it really and truly is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2:20. So I told you we'll end up with just some so what's and really i've got just two of them that i want to camp on even though we could camp on several here's the first question how hard is your heart on a daily basis on an hourly basis how hard is your heart when you walk into the office tomorrow or into the factory tomorrow or the classroom tomorrow And those same problems are there that were there when you left Wednesday or maybe last Friday if you got the whole week off. And all those things are there that have to be taken care of and all these tasks that you need to get done, but you didn't get them done. Now you have even less time to get them done. How's your heart going to be? Is your heart hard? Are you actively working to try to remove those rocks? Are you actively working to take those weeds that, that seem to get so much priority in our life and minimize them or even eliminate them? Are we really and truly seeking first God's kingdom? That's the hardness of your heart. Here's the second one. You know, you can have some great soil, but if you never position yourself to allow God to sow some seed into it, uh, it's still going to be just a pile of dirt. You know, I think so many times we are starving ourselves spiritually because we don't avail ourselves of God's Word. Do we read it? Do we actively engage when we're listening to it taught? Do we do we just listen to the music or do we actually pay attention to the lyrics to hear that truth? Are there things in our life, things in our routine, things in our schedule that are basically opportunities for God to sow his seed into our heart. I mean, you might have great soil, so to say, but if you never plant anything, you're just inviting hardness and weeds and everything else. I think it's a both and. We need to cultivate the soil, but we also need to intentionally expose ourselves to the seed. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? How in the world are you and I going to walk through a a world that deliberately and intentionally said, Jesus does everything he does in the spirit and power of Satan? You know what Jesus' answer was? It all depends on what kind of topsoil you got in in your heart. If you want the answers as to how to negotiate this life that is still under the spirit and power of Satan that, that hated Christ and everything about him enough that they literally lay, nailed him to a cross. If you want the answers as to how to make your marriage work, as to how to raise your kids, as to how to deal with the finances, as to how to get to those forks in the road and choose God's path for you, the answer is really starts with the quality of your heart so that you can receive the word implanted. So how's your heart, and how open are you to God's sowing seed into it? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the fact that uh, you have provided us with your word. You've provided us with so many opportunities to hear your truth. And Father, as hard as it is for us to fathom, what we know, what we hear, the likes of Abraham and David and Daniel would have loved to hear. And Father, I pray that uh, every once in a while you would give us that perspective that we are so incredibly blessed to know your truth. I pray, Father, that that would motivate us to keep our hearts very soft and open to you and to uh, allow your word to produce life and fruit and change. I pray, Father, today that if there's someone here whose heart is so totally hardened that they never have even heard the gospel and allowed it to take root. I pray, Father, that even today you would break up that fallow ground and that they would receive the word. They would come to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to you. Thank you, Father, for uh, this bit of encouragement today. And I pray that this week you'd help us to put it to practice. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.